Hi, this is Kendall Boyson, professional life and recovery coach, and you're listening to Encouragementology, the practice of instilling hope. Hi there. Thanks for joining me. On this show, we are looking to the horizon and brainstorming without limits, all the while keeping consideration of the present and the immediately following, because planning for the future does include tomorrow. We can daydream and visualize with the belief that the sky is the limit, but to avoid a future of desert mirages, let's add context, timelines, and a healthy dose of now and then. Don't put off tomorrow what you could have today. Oh sure, a bit of fantasy is productive. I mean, if you didn't stretch yourself now and again, where would you be? Going in circles. Life is full of promise, and no matter what you set as your next goal, with a little engineering and drive, you can get there. Where's there? Let's put some color to that. Ready to sharpen your pencil and get out the glitter? Planning for the future could take on a stodgy context of financial investments to help you when you retire someday. But let's think of future planning as everything that happens after today. It could include long-term goals, a solid financial foundation to take care of you when you're no longer pressing the gas pedal to the floor. It could be logical and logistical goals, normal for your life's journey, education, career, housing, family. It could also be a little bit of fun, vacations, vacation homes, travel, hobbies, additional business opportunities. It could be more personal and emotional in nature, more rest, better health, stronger friendships, volunteerism, giving back. Just think about it. No, really, that's what it will require. You have to think, challenge yourself, possibly step outside of your comfort zone, and then push yourself to take action. We could carry on with the mechanics of life just by getting by with our health, wealth, spirituality, and personal relationships, and more than likely, be okay. But don't you want more? More experiences, more love, more enlightenment, more purpose? As you sit there today, what comes to mind? Maybe you're the most organized and have list upon list what to do today, this week, month, or year. But maybe you're thinking, Hmm, I don't know where to start. Let's start with a bit of inspiration on how to get inspired. Johanna Hughes reminds us of the importance of inspiration and four tips for finding it in an article she wrote for Keystone Master Studies. Thomas Edison once said, genius is one part inspiration and 99% perspiration. And while there's no discounting the tremendous value of the latter, the former is what sets the wheels in motion. Here's a closer look at inspiration, along with tips for finding inspiration of your own. So what is it? 
Inspiration is a much-used, domesticated, amorous, and secular word for what is actually a revolutionary counterculture and spiritual phenomenon. But what exactly is inspiration? What are we talking about when we use the term? This was asked by New York Times op-ed columnist David Brooks in a recent piece on the topic. He goes on to establish some core characteristics of inspiration. For starters, the rules of normal logic don't apply. Rather, Brooks writes, moments of inspiration feel transcendent, uncontrollable, and irresistible. When one is inspired, time disappears or alters its pace. The senses are amplified. There may be goosebumps or shivers down the spine or a sense of being overawed by some beauty. Inspiration is also inherently active, he says. There's a thrilling feeling of elevation, a burst of energy, and awareness of enlarged possibilities. The person in the grip of inspiration has received, as if by magic, some new perception, some holistic understanding, along with the feeling that they're capable of more than they thought. It's not driven by self-interest. It's not earned. It's out of our control. It doesn't happen to anonymous individuals. And it's impertinent and mercurial. Most important, inspiration demands a certain posture, the sort of posture people feel when they're overawed by something large and mysterious. They're both humbled and self-confident, surrendering and also powerful. When people are inspired, they're willing to take a daring lark towards something truly great. They're brave enough to embrace the craggy fierceness of the truth and try to express it in some new way. Meanwhile, psychologists Tom M. Thrash and Andrew J. Elliott deconstruct inspiration into three core parts, evocation, transcendence, and approach motivation. Given the definitional ambiguity involved with capturing the true essence of inspiration, perhaps the best way of putting it is, you'll know it when you feel it. All of which begs the questions. If inspiration only accounts for 1% of optimal output, then why is inspiration important both in school and at work? Contend Scott Berry Kaufman in a Harvard Business Review, inspiration awakens us to new possibilities by allowing us to transcend our ordinary experiences and limitation. Inspiration propels a person from apathy to possibility and transforms the way we perceive our own capabilities. Without inspiration, we'd all be butting our heads up against the same challenges day after day. Inspiration gives us both the means and the motivation to rise above, be creative, grow closer to our goals, learn from others, and achieve enhanced well-being. Anyone who's ever tried to force inspiration knows that it's easier said than done. But this doesn't mean you need to sit back and wait for it to strike. Fortunately, inspiration is not a static state of mind, but a process that we can cultivate. While we can't force ourselves to be inspired, we can create an environment that's conducive to inspiration. In other words, while we may not be able to call for inspiration and expect it to come, we can take steps to open the door to inspiration. Number one, make a move. 
Waiting for inspiration to strike may lead to a life of waiting. While feeling stuck is normal, it's also not productive. Is your enemy in this effort? Inspiration doesn't just happen while we're at our desks returning emails. Don't wait for a flash of insight to strike before making any changes. The field of cognitive behavioral therapy shows that our behavior affects how we think and feel. When we do different things, we feel different feelings. Perhaps Jack London put it best in advising, don't loaf and invite inspiration. Light out after it with a club, and if you don't get it, you will nothing less get something that looks remarkably like it. Number two, stay in learning mode. Just because you achieve expertise in a particular area doesn't mean you've learned all you can learn. In fact, this mindset can lead to something called earned dogmatism and a closed-minded outlook. Instead, commit to ongoing learning by developing an inspiration routine. There are lots of ways to gather fresh experiences. Take a class, read a book, attend professional gatherings, travel, It's best to pick one that works for you and then structure your time to integrate these actions into your routine. You might commit to traveling once every six months or taking a few hours every Friday morning to read articles and books or set a goal to meet three new people in your field each quarter. Bill Gates was known for having a twice yearly think week, spending full weeks away from his office reading and mapping out new ideas. For most professionals, this isn't possible, but devoting even a couple hours a week to perspective-expanding activities will help you stay engaged and interested. Number three, expand your social network. Spending time with the same people every day may be comfortable, but it can also lead to stagnation. In spending time with new people, particularly those who are involved in different activities than you are, you grow closer to new ideas and insights. Number four, limit your choices. While open-mindedness is a necessary attribute of aspiration, too many choices can be immobilizing. We can boost our motivation by narrowing down our options, making it easier to act on them. We like to know we have a plan and are working toward it. If you feel stuck, try writing down all of your options and selecting the three you're most excited about in order. Then allocate time to work toward your top choices. One last thing to keep in mind. We've all heard the old adage, practice makes perfect, and cultivating inspiration is no different. The more regularly you practice inspiration, the easier finding it it will become. I love to brainstorm. Truly, I love to brainstorm my ideas with others, and I love to be involved in theirs. It's so thrilling to have an idea and add shape and context that brings it to life. And then execution. Nothing is more exciting than seeing an idea that came out of your mind into fruition. The process of creating Encouragementology was a significant experience in my life. I felt so driven and inspired that it came to life much quicker than I would have ever imagined. Once I stumbled upon the revelation that encouragement is the key to unlocking someone's true potential, I had to tell everyone. I had to make it significant, a practice that was replicatable, the practice of instilling hope. Matt is the perfect brainstorming partner. 
He too sees possibility everywhere and is quick to shape an idea and take action. He's so creative and can help me step back and see an idea from multiple angles. I have a whole team, really. People who love and support me while giving me honest and kind feedback. You can't and shouldn't do it alone. Surround yourself with quality people who truly want to see you succeed. Don't be afraid to share your ideas and allow your team space and a little creative control to help you shape your vision. I found a fun and meaningful exercise that can help you identify significant experiences to inspire your future at Alberta ALIS. Significant experiences are the events in our own personal history you remember because they made you feel good, satisfied, engaged, invigorated, inspired, in the flow. Looking back, whatever the outcome, you feel proud and fulfilled by those experiences. Your significant experiences can tell you a lot about what's really important to you. By reviewing your significant experiences, you can gain insight into your values, beliefs, interests, strengths, and dreams. Whether you're choosing an occupation, thinking about going to school, or changing your career direction, your significant experiences can help you identify new opportunities, adapt to change, create a satisfying career, or succeed in your chosen career. If you're like many people, you feel most satisfied when the things you do mean something to you, whether or not you excel at them or count them as successes. Although significant experiences can involve tasks you're good at, the key is how you feel about the experience. A significant experience could be a school project that introduced you to an exciting new interest, whether or not you got a good grade. A time when you helped a neighbor, friend, or classmate, even though your actions didn't make the 6 o'clock news. A time when you met a tight deadline, even though you were only one member of an entire project team. These activities will help you identify significant experiences. The following tips will help you get the most out of the activities. Okay, here's where you may want to get a piece of paper and pen. I'll wait. Okay, aim to identify at least three significant experiences. Look for what you like to do rather than what you do best. Write down or record as many details as you can about your experience. Do many of the activities. The more you do, the more material you'll have to work with. Reflect on how you feel about the experience. What anyone else thinks or whether anyone knows doesn't really matter. So here's an activity. Number one. What makes you proud? Recall a time when you did something you were proud of. Don't limit yourself to work or school. Draw on all the areas of your life, past and present. Work, leisure, learning, home, creative pursuits, volunteering, and relationships with family and friends. For each experience, ask yourself these questions. What did I do? When did this happen? What was the result? Why did it make me proud? 
Here's the next activity. The loves of your life. Divide your life into time periods of about five years. Try to remember what you love to do, the things that interested you, and what you felt strongly about in each period. For example, between ages five and 10, can you remember back then? What about leisure and recreation? Dancing, taking care of pets, skating, reading. What about your education? Favorite subjects? Work? How'd you feel about that? Did you do any at home? What about between the ages of 11 and 15? Leisure and recreation. Horseback riding. Time with friends. How about your favorite subjects at school? Were you working at that time? You can go on 16 to 20, 20 to 25. Go all the way up into where you are today. Think about significant experiences within your life. Where does your experiences lie? Activity number three, review your year. Look back over the past year. Find three activities or events from any aspect of your life that made you feel strong and engaged. Jog your memory by looking at your journals or calendars, your portfolios, scrapbooks, or photo albums, projects or products from work, assignments from school, performance reviews, family or company newsletters, and even your social media posts. Here's the next activity, your strengths. Complete the following sentences. I felt strong when. I loved it when. Boy, you could come up with a lot of stuff. I hope you can at least try. The next activity, happy talk. Recall recent conversations with family and friends. What are the things you talked about that made you feel positive? Analyzing your significant experiences. Choose three significant experiences you identified from the activities that we just did and describe them in detail. Write about them, record them, or describe them to a friend or have your friend write down key words. Describe where and when the experiences happened, who was involved, exactly what happened, what you did, how you felt, and how you feel about the experiences now. Review the descriptions of your experiences as though you were reading about someone else. Look for clues and themes. Note personal characteristics, skills, attitudes, values, or strengths. Note words or phrases that are common to all experiences. Review the descriptions and notes you made about each experience and answer the following questions. Why is this important to me? What skills or knowledge did I enjoy using in this experience? What does it say about what I value? What does the experience say about what I do, could do, or want to do? When you've completed this exercise, you'll have a list of words that describe what matters to you, the things that motivate you in the past and will likely motivate you in the future. Use these descriptions and what you've learned about yourself when you explore possible jobs, occupations, or educational programs. 
Brainstorm a vision of your future that includes the things that matter to you. Google the words and see what comes up. Take advantage of your past significant experiences to inspire your future. Focusing on things that have mattered to you in the past and can help make choices for you in the future. Use your significant experience, these moments when you felt proud, strong, and centered to help you move toward what you really want. Have you ever just let your mind carry you away? Instead of what-ifs taking you down a negative path, they lift you up among the clouds, allowing you to drift along into a world of possibilities. I don't have very vivid nighttime dreams, or at least when I wake up, I can't really articulate what I saw. You know what I mean. It's so frustrating. When I try to describe my dream, it's like a bad soap opera where nothing makes sense. But my daydreams are colorful and full of emotions. I'm happy, thriving, and full of wonderment. If I can keep self-doubt at bay, I could live among these joyful visions as long as I dare to dream. Far from a waste of time, daydreaming might be one of the best things you can do with your free time. Well, guess what? Don't take your head out of the clouds, says Rebecca Renner in an article she wrote for the New York Times. Adults spend as much as 47% of their waking lives letting their minds wander. This is according to a Harvard study that tracked participants with an app. Other studies say that percentage varies widely depending on how you classify it. However, none of these studies paint staring off into space in a positive light. For decades, psychologists have equated daydreaming with a failure of cognitive control, focusing on how it stunts abilities like task processing, reading comprehension, and memory. Yet Jerome Singer, a former professor at Pennsylvania State University and the father of daydreaming research, hypothesized that daydreaming can have a positive effect. If not, why would our minds be so prone to wander? Unlike the psychologists who have portrayed daydreaming as wholly wasteful, Dr. Singer said some daydreaming was advantageous and some counterproductive. To him, negative daydreams came in two forms, painful, obsessive fantasies, and an undisciplined inability to concentrate. But he also proposed some playful, creative reveries called positive constructive daydreaming. These could be beneficial. Whereas the negative daydreams indicate a loss of control, people purposefully jump into the playful kind. This idea was revolutionary when Dr. Singer proposed it 70 years ago. A few psychologists continued his research in positive daydreaming, but most viewed it as a harmful distraction from typical thought patterns. Even the Harvard app study found daydreamers were less happy. So most psychologists have used daydreaming over the years as a barometer for a patient's mental state rather than as a productive tool to change it. Now a growing body of research and evidence from clinical therapy suggests we can use purposeful, playful daydreaming to improve our overall well-being. New research shows that daydreaming can inspire happiness if you purposefully engage with meaningful topics, 
such as pleasant memories of loved ones or imagined scenes of triumph in the face of all odds. In a recent study published in the journal Emotion, researchers tested how much pleasure people derived from thinking. Participants left to their own devices were more likely to gravitate towards worry or neutral topics like work or school, and they were left with negative or neutral feelings after the session. When given a framework that guided them to imagine something positive, like a fantasy of having superpowers or the memory of their first kiss, they were 50% more likely to feel positive after the session. Why couldn't they do that on their own? Aaron Westgate, a psychology professor at the University of Florida, and the study's lead author said that positive daydreaming is a heavier cognitive lift. So our brains move toward effortless mind-wandering, even when the results are negative. Using your imagination seems like it would be easy, says Dr. Westgate. When you daydream, you're acting as a screenwriter, director, audience, and performer in a whole mental drama going on in your head. That's incredibly cognitively demanding. And it's not always good. Some studies suggest too much daydreaming can be bad for your mental health. Maladaptive daydreaming, when people flee into daydreams to escape events or feelings of distress, can be a symptom of post-traumatic stress disorder and other psychiatric conditions. The more trauma survivors delve into their waking daydream worlds, the worse their conditions can become. But learning how to control your imagination correctly is worth the hassle. As a trauma therapist, Abigail Nathanson guides her patients in visualization and a storytelling technique called imaginary rescripting that can help them understand and cope with traumatic memories. Dr. Nathanson starts by telling patients that imagining themselves in a more tranquil setting, especially one of nature, can be effective anxiety intervention. Dr. Nathanson often prompts patients to take this technique further by engaging with metaphors and visual symbolism. If her patients feel stuck, they might create a scene where they're standing behind a brick wall that represents their impasse. She helps them interpret the symbol and can also use it as a tool. She might say, what are you wearing in front of the brick wall? What is underneath your feet? What is around you? What do you see? What do you smell? When purposefully engaging with your daydreams, the more senses you can call into action, the more real you can make the scene feel in your mind. She says she prods them to take action, actively engaging in their spontaneous metaphor. They could climb over the wall, knock it down, or do whatever suits their imagination. Although overcoming past trauma isn't as easy as knocking down an imaginary wall, that action can have real tangible effects. While reveling in the moment of success might actually demotivate us from reaching our future goals, visualizing that action you take along the way can be powerful. Screening this movie in your head will make you more likely to follow through. And because you've imagined these scenarios before, you'll be calm as they play out in real life. So how do you daydream? Athletes like rugby players, golfers, and martial artists who deliberately daydream about their techniques using imaginary and narrative have found it can improve their performance. 
studies of surgeons and musicians have found similar results. Yet some have trouble engaging with their imaginative, creative sides. As Dr. Westgate's study showed, volitional daydreaming is especially hard without inspiration. Cognitive flexibility and creativity peak in childhood and decline with age. That creativity is still there, but it might need some prompting. So when T.M. Robinson Mosley, a consulting psychologist for the National Basketball Association, counsels players on how to harness the power of their daydreams, she first helps them break down their mental blocks and brainstorms ideas to focus on. To help players lose their inhibitions, she starts off by free writing, drawing, or using whatever medium suits them. This allows them to reconnect to some kind of creativity they enjoyed as a child. To do this yourself, set aside a few minutes every day for daydreaming. Start each session with brainstorming exercises. Pick the medium that feels most effortless and enjoyable, whether it's writing, drawing, playing an instrument, or something else. And use the task as inspiration to plumb your subconscious for ideas. Pick one idea to focus on as you daydream. You should also record a goal for the session. Your goal might be to enjoy your thoughts for a few minutes. You could use the time to process something that's making you anxious or to envision the steps you'll take to achieve a goal. The more details you can use, the better. Dr. Robinson Mosley likens meaningful daydreaming to the practice of shadow boxing. Before you even get in the ring to face an actual opponent, you will spend thousands of hours shadow boxing, a form of visualization that's designed to stimulate a boxing match in your mind before you even put your gloves on. Using daydreaming as a mental rehearsal can do more than just hone job performance. Research has shown that imagining scenarios as visual scenes can provide a boost in mood to people suffering from major depression. Dwelling on personally meaningful and imaginary scenes, like the one Dr. Westgate's study said, can increase creativity and spur inspiration. Your high school English teacher might have called you a space cadet, but in reality, even the briefest mental vacations can restore a sense of well-being. Sometimes it pays off to have your head in the clouds. Okay, it's time to wake up and put some shape to these ideas. I'm all about action. Let's do a little mental check-in here. How many ideas have you had that have remained just an idea? You know, put on hold for someday, somewhere, somehow. Why? Really, evaluate why you never saw that idea through. What are you missing? Most of the time, it's a realistic action plan and the courage to take that first step. Without a solid plan, you can keep it up in the clouds to visit it from time to time. But with a plan, it becomes a to-do, and for some, that's scary. I also believe we put everything in a long-term future plan because it, too, keeps this idea somewhere in the future. And doesn't everyone believe there is always another day? 
Let's pull those ideas down and develop some short-term goals to get the ball rolling. Barbara Grace leads us forward with how to set realistic short-term goals for a successful life in an article she wrote for Lifehack. Change begins with the hope of what's possible in your life, as hope leads to a sense of expectancy. Combine this with setting short-term goals, and the likelihood of being happier and more successful moves from possibility to reality. Short-term goals, when created with well-formed criteria, offer incremental steps towards successfully achieving your bigger goals. In this step-by-step guide, you'll discover the secret to creating short-term goals that will set you up for success and help you sail past challenges of staying motivated easily. So what is a short-term goal? Well, short-term goals are short, meaning the time frame can be as short as 10 minutes or a day or as long as a week or even 12 months. Well-formed short-term goals begin with the end in mind and can further connect you to your long-term goals. Here's a quick tip. Write down the specific result you want to achieve and the date you want that to happen. Then work backward from this date describing what you'll notice yourself doing and achieving until you take that first step. A short-term goal is the smallest step you need to reach a bigger goal centered around achieving something you passionately desired. And passionately desired is the key. Each time you achieve a short-term goal, your body celebrates by producing and releasing chemicals such as dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, and endorphins, those feel-good neurotransmitters. Ian Robertson, a cognitive neuroscientist and author of The Winner Effect, The Neuroscience of Success and Failures, says, Success and failure shape us more powerfully than genetics and drugs. The regular release of the body's natural chemicals supports brain change at a neural level, building your confidence and renewing your goal-oriented focus. So here are four steps to success with short-term goals. Setting short-term goals will lead you closer to a happier and more successful life. But how do you set short-term goals that are genuinely achievable? Step one, know your best hopes. Try this process yourself by thinking of an area in your life that you'd like to improve. For example, what are your best hopes for your finances, relationship, career, or health? This process involves chunking up your ideas to imagine the results more clearly. In this process, you try to achieve not only the goal and the outcome it gives you, but also the changes in your behavior and mindset as a result of achieving your goal. Step two, notice what's different. The next question to ask yourself is, what would you notice that was different from the way you usually did things? Noticing helps you build a vision of what could be possible. The richer the description you can build around the tiny details, the more real your preferred future becomes. To complete this step, you may want to utilize some visualization techniques as you seek to create your short-term goals. Step three. Answer the question, what else? 
Most of us know there's a hidden reason or a long-buried hope beneath why we want something. Often our ego gets a little defensive and protective of it. But if we dig and resurface the truth, then a weight can be lifted, allowing you the freedom to move forward. Define your why in order to discover what else you may be searching for in your life. Step four, think about who will notice the difference. Relationships with family, friends, colleagues, and your partner are important. By imagining the change they'll notice, you can add another perspective to your vision. Imagine what they'll notice about you that would let them know something changed about you as a result of achieving these short-term goals. When you set short-term goals, establish a measurement system to track your progress. Here's how. Number one, create a running tally. One of the best devices to keep your short-term goal setting on track is to keep a running record or tally of the number of days in a row that you've sustained your goal. Number two, keep a journal. Maintaining a journal will help you focus on identifying the things that are different because you've set well-formed short-term goals. Aim to complete the journal at the end of each day and recall in detail the things that you're noticing. This helps keep you connected with your desired outcome and the transformation you're experiencing in both your behavior and mindset. And just a tip about journaling, you don't have to chronological your day. You can simply write a few notable facts about your day, so don't get overwhelmed. Number three, share your progress with a trusted friend or coach. By voicing the change and expressing how far you're noticing yourself moving towards your goal, you're reinforcing the power of change you're experiencing. You'll also be activating the feel-good neurotransmitters that are so important for bringing the confidence, motivation, and positive changes you need to succeed. Number four, visualize your progress. Before you go to sleep in the evening, visualize your tomorrow. See yourself continuing to do the things that support your change and the movement toward your short-term goals. Walk yourself through the tiny details that add up to the changes you want to see yourself doing, including the time you'll wake up. In the morning, reactivate the visualization and then step into your day. Number five, establish triggers for your daily habits. It's a simple act, but doing it the same way each morning makes it repeatable and easy to do. It reduces the chance that you'd skip it or do it differently. To do this list, create a trigger point. The smallest step you'll do that will catapult you into taking action. Number six, talk about your future. Melanie Perkins, CEO of Canva, a thriving design and publishing solution, is known for frequently talking about the future. Orienting your thoughts towards a future focus reinforces how important your vision and goals are. Ralph Waldo Emerson famously said, you are what you think. Make it a habit to read your goals daily. Think about what you'll notice that will be different in your life when you achieve them. Express your goals to someone important in your life. Future-focused conversations, both with yourself and others, establish a pattern of expectancy, which continues 
fueling not only your desire, but also expectation of achieving your short-term goal. Number seven, manage mental resistance. When you begin with hope, you activate a sense of expectancy, a belief that what you want is not only possible, but within reach. Hope and expectancy are two powerful motivators in propelling you forward to a successful life. When you're moving forward with hope, you're orienting yourself towards your desired future. When moving away from something you perceive as painful, you're activating fear, which can also be a strong motivator to help you avoid pain. Change is possible, and short-term goals that build upon each other are the stepping stones to achieve your best hopes. As we wrap up the show, let's go through the top 10 key highlights. Number one, future planning is everything that happens after today. Number two, Inspiration awakens us to new possibilities by allowing us to transcend our ordinary experiences and limitations. Number three, inspiration is best thought of as a surprising interaction between your current knowledge and the information you receive from the world. Number four, don't be afraid to share your ideas and allow your team space and a little creative control to help you shape your vision. Number five, significant experiences are the events in your own personal history you remember because they made you feel good, satisfied, engaged, invigorated, inspired, and in the flow. Number six, daydreaming can inspire happiness if you purposefully engage with meaningful topics such as pleasant memories of loved ones or imagined scenes of triumph in the face of all odds. Number seven, research has shown that imagining scenarios as visual scenes can provide a boost in mood to people suffering from major depression. Number eight, change begins with the hope of what's possible in your life. Number nine, a short-term goal is the smallest step you need to reach a bigger goal centered around achieving something you passionately desire. And number 10, Genius is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. If you want to share Encouragementology with a friend who needs to know they're not alone in this journey of self-discovery, you can visit Encouragementology.com or anywhere you stream your content to receive this episode and all others. Follow us on Facebook for additional encouragement throughout the week. So I challenge you, let your mind wander with a good mix of fantasy and potential reality. When inspired, take action with short-term goals that will propel you forward. Involve your support group to add additional color, flair, and some much-needed encouragement. I know you can do it. Thank you for listening to Encouragementology with Kendall Boyson, where we find positive ways to handle some of life's challenges. Someone's through until the past was clear. That's when I found you.